Engraçada que ninguém fica parado Desceu da favela pro asfalto Quando o DJ solta o beat o baile pega fogo E sai dominando o mundo todo Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Orlando Soccer Show. I don't know about you, but it's the day after Orlando City won their penalty shootout against New York City FC, and I still have no earthly idea what occurred at Exploria Stadium. Uh, My name's Austin David, I'm here with Gavin Eubank, and we're going to try our damnedest to run through exactly what happened on November 21st, 2020, when Orlando City played in one of the craziest MLS games to ever happen. And I can confidently say that because it defies explanation. Because it is, in fact, so MLS that even some of the best MLS games to ever MLS were overdone by this MLS moment. You know, I'm I'm trying to think. I mean, quite simply, it's a game that will probably never be replicated. It probably cannot even possibly be replicated. It should again. not be. Yeah, you would think. Now, like I'm trying to in my mind, I've been trying to think like what is this even comparable to? Because and, and I'm not just in like Major League Soccer, but like in World Soccer, like is there a game that you can remember watching? I'm trying to think of just craziness in general. And like some of the simple stuff that comes to my mind is um, last year, remember Chelsea um, when Sorry was trying to take the goalkeeper off and he was refusing to. And like everyone was so confused what was going on. But just like simple endings of games like this where you just have no idea what is truly happening. And I just can't think of something like that. I mean, like we've had a lot of Orlando City games where the last 10 to 15 minutes have been. Um, you know, wild and kind of chaotic, but this is a whole. This nother took it level. to a, no. This took it to a whole nother level, yeah. and and the thing is, the reason you can say I have never seen something like this is because the damn penalty shootout lasted twenty two minutes. Mm-hmm. Right, they played a ninety minute game, then thirty minutes of extra time, only to spend another twenty two minutes trying to decide who would win in the penalty shootout. And and look, there have been long penalty shootouts that have gone like 10, 11 rounds, but even those have not lasted 22 minutes. Yeah, how many of those penalty shootouts had one team thinking that they won it three separate times? Yeah, and then that's the crazy thing. So let's just go chronologically throughout this game. Let's talk about each individual moment that happened and then we'll get into the penalty shootout, and we'll spend a little bit of time on that. And and by little, I mean probably most of the show. So, um, well, let, let's set the scene here, right? It's a noon kickoff. It's probably one of the earliest kickoffs that Orlando City has actually ever taken place in, right? I, I can't remember a game that Orlando City has played where it has been before 1 o'clock. I think, a noon kickoff. I could be wrong, but rare. was that opening game in 2016 might have been a noon kickoff, or was that also one o'clock? I mean, either I way, know. it was an early game. Yeah, um, that's that's actually a good question. 
I remember getting to the stadium in the AM. That part I know. Right. Right. That I mean that game was definitely on the early side. Mm-hmm. Um but I I don't think no, I don't think that actually was in the AM. That was definitely in the PM and it it like kicked off later in the day. Okay, so the 2016 Real Salt Lake game kicked off at 2. Oh, okay. Close enough. So, yeah. But, again, this is this is definitely the earliest kickoff yeah. Orlando City has participated in. So that's one thing, right? Pedro Galese started. That was the big news because there was serious doubt as to whether he'd be in town for the game. And, boy, what a difference maker he ended up being. Uh I mean, just in the first half alone, uh, the whole penalty shootout situation we'll get to later. But, I mean, he had massive saves in that first half. Mm -hmm. And there was serious doubt as if he would be able to play. And I I don't know if Orlando City wins that game or even has a chance of winning if Galese doesn't make those saves. Now, I I can't say for sure if, if Brian Rowe would make those same saves, but... I mean, Galese is is a world class keeper, and I would say Brian Rowe is a decent enough MLS keeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a difference, and yeah, it surely shows just how big of a loss that's going to be against Philadelphia next week. Yes, uh, I mean uh, Orlando could dispute it, but uh, we'll, we'll yeah, get to the we'll get to the rules later because that that's a whole nother thing. So, game kicks off. Right around noon, and, and this was a you know a, a good, you know good timing kickoff. You know we didn't have to wait till like twelve forty five because it was a nationally televised game. It was just like hey twelve oh seven, boom kickoff. We're good. So that that was nice to be able to kick off somewhat on time. And then four minutes into the game, Anton Tiller home commits a handball. On a back post cross. Mm-hmm. And and fifth minute, Nani scores. Orlando's up one nothing. And and we're sitting in the press box like, Wow, okay, this this could be uh well, this could be an interesting one. Yeah, it's one of those things where you expect Orlando City's gonna come out, they're gonna be playing well and they're they have a good opportunity to probably get a couple goals, but certainly did not see one coming out early. Right. And then of course three minutes later, Maxime Cheneau heads in a corner and and once again, set pieces do Orlando City. Set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. You can say that even one more time. Set pieces. I mean, the <laughs> exactly. amount of goals that Orlando City has given up either on set pieces or crosses or, you know, balls in the air. I, I, yeah. it, was a, it was a good wake-up call moment because after that penalty kick and everyone's flying high and, and you know, from the fourth minute, everyone is thinking, all right, well, game's over. We're going to win this. And then the things kind of come crashing back to earth, and it's like, oh, right, Orlando City does still have some flaws that can hurt them. Yes. It's it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, but after that goal, it's 1-1. And then the crazy enough part, we think in the press box, hey, wow, this is going to be a really high flying, high-scoring game. <laughs> How wrong we were. Turns out that was the last goal of regulation and extra time. Nothing else happened after that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it could have been, if not for Pedro Galese, it could have been a high-scoring game. He made six saves in this one. Yes. That's impressive. Yes. It was a very, very contentious game. A lot of people were talking about 
before the game or even leading up to the game. Oh, this isn't a rivalry. Uh, listen, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is a rivalry based on the shared history between these two teams. Yeah, no, when I think about some of the craziest games in Orlando City history, it's funny how many of them are against NYCFC. That Not only that opening game, not only the running of the wall, this game. You remember that game at Yankee Stadium a few years ago where the final score was like 5-3? to three, They were trading trading goals left and right, up, right up until the last minute. Like, these yeah, two teams Kyle, Kyle Laren had a hat play good games. That. Yeah, Kyle Laren, against all New York teams, just loves to score hat-tricks. But, like, these two teams do not play boring games these these teams play good competitive high intensity matches of soccer and this is clearly no different i mean they have played a boring game before like Which i one? mean the, the that first match that they played in 2016 not 15 but 16 the first game uh, at yankee stadium in like march the end of march in 2016 like, like laren scored in the straw yeah something? no no laren scored in the seventh minute and then nothing else happened like orlando oh, City right. just bunkered in you remember that yeah yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, so like that, I mean, that was like one of those moments where it's like you just grind out a victory or, or whatever, but then you go back into like another game with, within 2016 where like Orlando wins 2-1 thanks to a brace from Kaká, and then you go into like when Kevin Molino scores a uh, almost stoppage time goal to tie the game at 2-2, right? And it looked like Orlando City was going to lose that game until they pulled it back from the brink. And managed to pull out a draw, and, and there, you know, again, is that the Yankee Stadium game as well, where like uh, Baptiste scored late, and you almost scored like a bicycle kick on someone? That was the Molino game tying goal. Yeah, he 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 went for the bicycle kick, missed it, and then Molino cleaned it up. I think that was the other Yankee Stadium game I went to because that was also a pretty exciting finish. Hmm. Those games at Yankee Stadium, like we haven't seen Orlando City play there, and it feels like a while, but those ones always turn out to be pretty interesting. Yeah, and then of course, 2017, the uh, opener of at then Orlando City Stadium, Laren scores one nothing game in front of a sellout crowd. Mm-hmm. Like again, there there are moments within Orlando City's history that are tied forever with NYCFC that just add to the drama of this quote unquote rivalry. And I think Jason I'm, I'm Christ accidentally not picking the first pick in the expansion or in the MLS super draft to give Orlando city Kyle Aaron, because he just made a dumb mistake. It, it was, it, it was the long game from Jason Christ. Exactly. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. He knew, he, he knew, he knew eventually that he would be coaching in Orlando. Right. Writing was on the wall at NYCFC, even before they took their first game. <laughs> They're just like, all right, you're, you're a placeholder here. We're going to replace yeah. you in like a year. He's like, exactly. all right. <laughs> then uh, I'll prepare myself for for my next job in Orlando, because you know, just just playing playing 4D chess over there in in New York was Jason. Yeah, and, and, and as we all know, that whole thing with Kyle Aaron worked out for Jason Christ. So, no, it didn't work out for Jason. Christ. No. Speaking of Kyle Aaron, he's he's killing it in Turkey right now. Yeah, he's playing as a winger, by the way, which is the craziest thing. Never, never thought of Kyle Laren as a winger. Yeah. Where were we? Where, where were we? Yeah, back to Orlando City and NYCFC. The running of the wall situation, like that, adds to the drama. That was the last time Orlando City had been in a penalty shootout. One of the first times, actually, in like a meaningful match. And of course, it comes down to a a save that wins it. 
uh, this saved by a third string goalkeeper who hadn't really, you know, been in the spotlight before. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a theme for unexpected heroes coming up for Orlando City in these shootouts. Yep, absolutely. And I was looking back at the LAFC game earlier at MLS is back and looking at like the penalty shootout when we first saw the people taking the penalties we we're like why is this guy taking a penalty mm-hmm. and after the game we we talked to oscar and he's like yeah i mean whoever just feels confident enough to take it takes it yeah that's so, like, usually how it goes right so like in this game you had and well antonio carlos and nani were the only two people that had taken penalties against lafc that took penalties in this shootout Okay. So you had Tesho Akindele, who was fairly expected. But then the second penalty taker was Andres Perea. Didn't see that one as, as number two. Uh, Antonio Carlos was number three. Junior Urso was number four. Then Nani was number five. Uh, that was all you know, more or less expected. Then Robin Janssen at number six. And finally Benji at number seven. Yeah, penalties are always fun because it's... It's like you said, it's not necessarily who you expect because even the greatest soccer players might be bad at penalties or they don't like the pressure of taking penalties. They think Mia Hamm, famously in that 99 World Cup, she hated taking penalties. She did not want to do it at any cost in that penalty shootout in the final. So, like, you get, you know, it's funny to look and think like these players who we think of the most confident and talented and gifted. When it comes to penalties, that's a whole different game for a lot of people because it's mm. almost entirely mental, really. I mean, just look at Maxi Morales. He clanged his first penalty off the crossbar. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll get to it later, but, you know, not. Yeah, I was going to say we're getting ahead of ourselves. We we yeah. really – it seems like we really want to talk about this penalty. <laughs> shootout, but Yeah, the game itself, though, like we said – you know, like we talked about when we did our preview, New York City, they came out and they played the game that we expected them to, 26 shots throughout. I mean, they were peppering um, – peppering Glesse, especially early, with a lot of good opportunities. He, Like you said, he had to make a couple of really good saves in that first half where Orlando City was kind of bending a little bit. They weren't breaking, but they weren't, you know, they weren't stopping NYCFC, which really is kind of what you expect for a team that has been playing so well offensively. But, for I mean, for their credit, they gave up one goal, and it was not even from open play. So that's worth noting as well. Yeah, when we were watching throughout the game, NYCFC did their homework. They scouted this team to a T. Every time a player made a certain movement, an NYCFC player was reading it the entire way. Right? They knew exactly what every player was going to do. They read each passing lane. They knew the tendencies of each player on how they move, how they play with the ball, play without the ball. And it was very noticeable, you know, how kind of drilled this team was in playing Orlando. And and that just, it's a mark of a good team and a a good coach. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, fire Ronnie Delia. And I'm like, why? Yeah, I mean. Like, they had a great game plan. It, It, like, sometimes it just doesn't come together. But, like, that, I mean, they played Orlando better. Like, they, they outplayed Orlando throughout the game it's just Orlando kind of just grinded it out yeah I mean I think a lot of people overlooked the fact that NYCFC was the second best team in Major League Soccer last year behind only LAFC 
they had a new coach this year, and that does take some time to kind of transition and to develop. Um, they lost several key players. They sold one of their DPs midseason. You know, they they got off to a slow start, but we kind of, you know, we, we talked about it a lot last week. They were playing very good soccer in this. And even though they were a fifth seed, in the course of a 34-game season, they probably finish a lot better than that and get more credit than they deserve. And, I mean, even among people outside of, probably outside of Orlando, they were probably the favorites heading into this game to win it. So, you know, the fact that they came into Orlando and probably outplayed Orlando a bit is not a surprise at all to, to you know, to people that you kind of look at what their recent form is and see what happened. Yeah, I would I would disagree with the, the fact that NYCFC was favorites. I would say it, it was probably more of a toss-up than anything. You know, Vegas was even saying it was, I think Orlando had like a slight edge since they were at home. I did notice about a week ago they were both plus one fifty, so that was even there. Um, right, it, know, it was a very, it, it was, it was very, very close. I think it, it ended up being like a pick'em essentially, mm-hmm. uh, where you know it was, it was really just a toss-up. But I think Orlando had a, a very slight edge simply because they were hosting. And, and again, it's, it's, it was a very contentious game. It was very, very physical. And that that was one thing I really noticed straight out of the gate. Like there was there was no real like working into the game. It was kickoff, we're at a hundred percent, we are like fighting for the ball. Playoffs, in, like, maybe. The thirtieth second like thirty seconds in. You're you're right in it. That quick. Right out of the gate there was just like sliding challenges shoulder barges everything yeah i mean that is that's the difference between a do or die postseason game and just another regular season outing but here's the thing orlando city's never been in a mls postseason like they had that cup run but i didn't see that same level of energy that they came out with in this game that they had in the mls's back tournament yeah that's why i'm I'm genuinely surprised because right but they they i was first off worried that that wasn't sustainable and it wasn't you know the game kind of settled down towards the 35th 40th minute where yeah teams settled more into it but like for the first 25 minutes and it took about 25 minutes for it to kind of slow down a little bit the pace was incredibly frenetic yeah i think that i mean that's just kind of what oscar Pereira wants though you know he wants the team to come out and be pragmatic to be on the front foot and like you said nycfc was so prepared for that that they knew they had to come out and match that. And so it was just a dogfight for those first 25 minutes. It's who's going to get the upper hand. Both teams score. Neither team has the upper hand, really. So now it's like, you know, now the game can settle down. Now the game is starting to kind of ebb and flow and find its own little pace. Like you said, it's 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 not a pace that is certainly going to keep up for the first 90 minutes. But it is something that, given what we know about these two teams, you can expect to see. And we'll probably see it again, whoever they face on on sunday yeah i think i think it's just going to be a very different style of game whoever whoever it is between philadelphia and new england nobody in the rest of the eastern conference plays the same way as nycfc does Mm -hmm. at least it's left i would say that nycfc has a distinct style of just general pressing and positioning Whereas I haven't seen like something similar in any of the other teams that are still left in the playoffs. Cause let's face it, or- Orlando city has played 
almost all. Actually, they haven't played New England to this point. But every other team that is still, actually, no, Toronto. They haven't played Toronto Toronto either. either. But every other team, they have played. So it'll be interesting when when it comes down to it. But back to the NYCFC game, it, it... there, there were moments in the first half, right? 24th minute, Galese has his first real big save uh, when Medina kind of somehow just got completely open and Galese was able to palm it away. Orlando had some good sequences going into like the 30th minute, gave up a corner or two, a lot, a lot of plays in the midfield. Then in the 43rd minute, Pedro Galese makes probably the save of the match where he comes up with a huge save on Castellanos. And then Keaton Parks finds himself right there for the rebound. And Galese comes up with a palm save again. And that was like one of the moments of the first half, I would say. Like, out, you know, the penalty is one thing. Like, yeah, it gives you gives you a goal. But, I mean, that, that save by the double save by Galese is probably the moment of that first half. Mm-hmm. All right. So Orlando goes into the half. It's 1-1 still. Nothing really doing there. Second half comes in again. Galese makes a save. Really, nothing happens within the first like twenty minutes of the first, second half. It was just kind of a little bit of back and forth. You know, teams trying to work their way into the attack, and then the defense breaking it up. It was a lot of that throughout the early parts of the second half. It, it got to the point where you know, seventy third minute or so, Orlando gets some momentum. Then they start making some subs. Tesho comes in, Andres Perea comes in. I want to go back to the 77th minute when the foul on Huan against Anton Tinnerholm. I don't know if you remember that moment because I, I think a lot of people kind of forgot it in the grand scheme of things, but it ended up playing a big factor in the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. So Huan is trying to play the ball, doesn't realize where he is, and literally just runs right into Anton Tinnerholm to the point where he was bleeding. Tinnerholm is down, you know, took a knock to the head. Obviously, that's a, a a quick whistle from the referee. And at that point, Juan gets a yellow. Tinnerholm receives treatment, gets the concussion test, and is ready to go back into the game. Apparently, according to Ronnie Delia, an official from MLS came over and said, Right, you gotta you gotta take him off. He's he's not okay to play. Apparently, according to him, the the concussion test was run and and he was okay. But an official from MLS came and said he's not okay. You have to take him off. Mm-hmm. So the league apparently forced NYCFC to take off probably one of their best defenders and attacker like he's he's just one of the best overall right backs in in the league right now i'd say top five at the very least which brings in a whole other issue is that they that happened and then he stayed on the field through the rest of the game or through the release the rest of uh, regulation with head injuries being such a big issue how that was not caught sooner how he was able to pass that concussion test but then you know 15 minutes later the medical experts are like hey no i don't think that this is good like yeah, well, again, the NYCFC doctors cleared him. Right. I think what someone said that the medical experts saw him, like, shaking after a play or something. They, they saw something mm. that worried him. 
while I he see. was on the field. Okay. That um. Yeah, but, but yeah, he, he yeah did. he ended up coming out in the ninety fifth minute. Uh, mm-hmm. well the ninety ninetieth plus five, so five minutes into the ten minutes that was originally given in stoppage time. But it it became a bigger issue because, I mean, Tinnerholm is is a dangerous player on both sides of the field, mm-hmm. and Sebastian Ibiaga, who came in for him, is not the same. Ibiaga created some chances for his team, but you, you, it begs the question, you know, if Tinnerholm was cleared by the doctors and, and he was forced to come out, what is the level of MLS's involvement in that, I guess? Because... I think Delia was making a bigger deal out of it at the end of the game. He could just be doing that because he lost, but it's something to bring up regardless. Yeah, I mean, you know, player safety should be first and foremost. So it's like, I get it if you're the coach and you don't want to take your best player out. Nope. You want to win, and that's having him out there is going to help you win the game. Um, But at the same time, if he's overlooking health concerns or the players even overlooking health concerns at the sake of competition, then that's kind of where you got to, somebody has to step in. And if that thing, you know, that league doctor saw something, then they absolutely need to stand up and say, Hey, get the guy off the field. One game is not worth the rest of his career or, you know, the rest of his life that he could be dealing with something. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. So uh, that, that happened in the 95th minute where he was eventually subbed off, but the, original foul came in the 77th minute where Juan got a yellow. Now that kind of comes back into play a little bit later. So we're into the 87th minute, 85th minute, shall I say. Uh, Juan is, he's running past Gary McKay Stevens and Kai Steven fouls Juan. As they're both on the ground, McKay Steven pushes Juan back down and then Huan retaliates by kicking Makai Steven off of him. Now, as we all know, usually the first contact is not as egregious in the ref's eyes as the retaliation. So, naturally, Huan, already sitting on a yellow, kicks out into the leg of Makai Steven. Makai Steven's down. It's pretty cut and dry at that point. It's a straight red for Huan. And Huan basically just took the bait. Yeah, I mean, not much you can argue there. It's a self-inflicted wound that he he unfortunately put onto himself. And kind of, I mean, it's one of those situations where you know if he had a chance to do it over again, that's, you're not doing that again. Yeah, well, uh, according to Paul Tenorio, after the game, or not even after the game, when he was sent off, he was crying in the locker room. He wasn't even watching the rest of the game. He was just yeah. in the locker room crying. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, I mean, he obviously realized what he had done. He he spent a lot of time on the ground um, after that foul. Uh, the referee wouldn't give him the red card until he stood up. And so uh, eventually his teammates had to help him up so that he could be shown a red and then promptly escorted off the field by being, like, carried off by... Wasn't he in, like, a wheelchair? Doctors. I don't know if he was. I think in a they brought out the wheelchair for him, like just full on committing to the bit. And you got to give him props to that. I mean, if you're gonna go off, you might as well just go down swinging. Like, listen, he went full. He went full Paul Pierce. Oh yeah, no, he he played into it hard. 
that's kind of what makes the situation more hilarious. The more I think about it, the more I realize he went full Paul Pierce. Because <laughs> Paul Pierce, if you remember back in the uh, playoffs when he was with the Celtics in the late 2000s. Was it in the 08 finals? Yeah, maybe. I, it's, it's struggling to remember. But he was literally put in a wheelchair and was crying as he was taken back to the locker room. And that was Duan. Yeah. Yeah, I saw someone post the post the video of that on Twitter and just went insane energy. <laughs> so, uh, 87th minute is when the card was officially shown, which means Orlando was down a man, and there was still plenty of game to go. Ten minutes of stoppage time was announced. Um, you know, Kamal Miller ended up coming in for Chris Mueller, so Chris Mueller's uh, afternoon was. Uh, over before he could get into the, uh, you know, crux of the game or even into the penalty shootout. We'll never know uh, if if Chris Mueller would have been a, a difference maker in the penalty shootout. Um, though through the 90 minutes that he ended up playing, he had a very mixed bag of a game. He had good moments of brilliance where he, like in the beginning, first 20 minutes, he had like a silky smooth first touch and he was getting into good attacking uh, positions playing good defensively it seems like he had that bit of a chip on his shoulder from being snubbed from the uh, mls all 11 team yeah that's kind of been the the story of mueller late hasn't it where like he's been good early in games but then he just kind of faded off a little bit as the later stages kind of progress i think he's gotta learn how to control his energy mm-hmm I think that the biggest thing that I've noticed is that he expels a lot of energy early on and then it, it hurts him in the later stages where his touch gets a bit more erratic and his decision-making gets a bit more... Uh, Rushed. Yeah. And, and again, credit to NYCFC for kind of putting him in those situations. But if you're playing against a good team, you have to expect that. And... We've seen Mueller kind of disappear in some instances. Uh, to be fair, the whole team for Orlando City disappeared in instances in this game. Nobody was really consistent throughout, I would say. Uh, can you can you go back and vehemently say there was a player that for the full 90 minutes was consistent, for the full game, heading into the penalty shoot as well, that was fully consistent through the entire game? Um, I mean, I would say that that of the players i was gonna probably say that nani had the best game of anybody he was he was very erratic with his passing too in some points his his well he finished with 86 percent passing on 51 passes which i think well it's just behind yuri russell uri, for, uri, for uri had a very good game for a guy that hadn't started or played a game in 13 matches i was incredibly impressed that he went as long as he did and he only had 39 touches, too, which is very, very not normally his game. He's normally the guy with 80, 90 touches, and this time it was uh, Nani. Yeah, I think it just kind of lended into the game plan. Also, the fact that they haven't been playing with Uri in the lineup for the last month and a half, two months. Yeah, I was very surprised that they came out and started him because, you know, we, we've talked about it before. Like, he is such an integral part of the midfield and kind of keeping the team moving offensively, playing, helping Orlando play from the back. But the guy's missed two months of the season, and his first game back is a start in the playoffs. It's a risky move for Perea because 
you know, he's obviously going to be very rusty and he's not probably not going to be at his highest level, which could tend to open you up to a little bit of uh, mistakes in the back or, you know, certain things like that. So I, I think it was that good to it, see him come ulti- out and play a solid game. Yeah. Ultimately, I think it was the right move considering that Sebas was not available. Yeah. I think I mean, that you kind of do what you got to do in that situation. Right. It's winner go home situation. You do try and play your best lineup. Uri has been on the cusp of playing for a multitude of games now. And if, you know, I I, I talked to Mauricio about this, where he started the first game that he came back. Right. He he didn't just like come off the bench. He started and played like 65 minutes. And I asked Mauricio, like, why, you know, what was the decision-making behind that? And basically Oscar just went, and talk to Mauricio, and he's like, how you feeling? He's like, I'm great. He's like, all right, you're starting. That's it. He trusts his players implicitly to the point where if you say, like, you're going to start and you you see enough in practice, because you got to be sure with Oscar and his coaching staff that they see enough in practice to be able to fully commit to starting somebody, that Uri Rossell was, in fact, ready to start. Yeah. And... To be fair, 83 minutes was quite a while uh, for the first subs of the game. And I think it just kind of lended into what was happening at the time. I, I, neither coach wanted to make a sub and disrupt the way the game was going. Because if Orlando makes a sub and you know the, the subbed-in player misses a mark and NYCFC capitalized, and then Orlando's down. And then if NYCFC does the same thing, Orlando could take the advantage. And then being at home, it would be harder for NYCFC to get back. I can see kind of how the mind games are being played out between Delia and Oscar Pereja, where neither team really wanted to make a substitution because they didn't want to disrupt the flow of the game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, Orlando made their first subs in the 83, 83rd minute, and NYCFC made it in the fifth minute of stoppage time. It was very, very late in the day for those kind of substitutions, and those were more like, you know, trying to win it at the end of regulation slash preparing for extra time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting approach. It it was, and um, again, Udi did very good, all things considered. So, uh, back to, you know, Orlando City. It, into extra time as we were saying right all the start all the subs start coming fast and free in the 90th plus 10 right as we hit 10 minutes of stoppage time Orlando City has a chance of winning it like right at the death Nani puts a ball in for Tesho ball takes a deflection on its way to Tesho to soften it it wasn't coming in full speed from the wing from Nani it actually took a deflection on its way to Tesho. All Tesho has to do is tap it in. And he skied it. He skied it bad. And then that's it. That's the final whistle. And you head to extra time. And, and I hate to say he wandoed it, but he kind of wandoed it. <laughs> like, I hate using that as a verb because Chris Wondolowski is one of the best scorers in MLS history, but that moment for the U.S. men's national team will live in infamy for Chris Wondolowski to the point where that his his miss has become a verb. Yeah, and, and in some ways you could say that Dom Dwyer's impact is still being felt on the team. 
Oh boy. Wow. <laughs> wow. I don't, I can't honestly remember. I can't remember a, a miss that Dwyer had that was, well, no, never mind. I can't. <laughs> I was going to say, you really got to think about that. No, I, I can yeah. find an entire compilation of misses like yeah, that, unfortunately. unfortunately. Uh, not in pressure situations like that, though. No, 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 no. no. Maybe. Well, I don't want to say for certain. Moving on. <laughs> Orlando missed the opportunity to win the game. They head into extra time. Uh, not much happens. Orlando basically defends. The The one thing I was surprised at for most of extra time is it didn't feel like Orlando was down a man. The way the game was played, it didn't feel as much that Orlando was down a man. And it also didn't feel like NYCSC was taking advantage of the fact they were up a man. Mm-hmm. Like throughout the, the the 30 minutes of extra time, it kind of just played out where Orlando was defending and countering and then NYCFC was trying to build in uh, into an attack. It was just kind of wild to watch because it was just like Orlando actually had some good chances in extra time. Yeah, I mean, I know that like when games come down to penalty kicks, it's basically a crapshoot at that point. So like when you say, did that team really deserve to win? I mean, Orlando for a hundred and twenty minutes, they put in the effort that awarded them a victory at the end of the day. I mean, it's fair to say that they were deserving winners, and you could probably have said the same thing about NYCFC. But in this case, you know, the team that did win was ultimately they put in the effort worth saying that they were winners. Yep. And that overtime period showed it. Right. And and in that extra time, you know, Tesho had a chance uh, where he passed it to Junior Urso in front of goal, but Urso couldn't quite get it. Uh, Kamal Miller almost scored. A worldy almost. Like he, he got into the box, like touched it over to himself and tried to strike it with his left foot. And he missed just by a little bit. And um, Michael Citra was was sitting next to me, uh, Michael Citra from the mainland. And he said, if Kamal Miller scores, I will literally laugh out loud in the press box. And it almost happened. (laughs) It's just, again, most unlikely of scorers. If that had happened, it would have just been a crazy, crazy way for Orlando to win. And it just so happened that we couldn't think of anything crazier until the penalty shootout happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, it went into penalties. The big thing before the penalties were even taken, Orlando won the to- coin toss and they chose to shoot towards the wall. I-, I think that's a little bit more underrated when it comes to it. Cause with Maxi Morales being the first penalty taker and missing, like it automatically, put more pressure on NYCFC right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I won't get into the fact that Orlando had probably a lot more fans than they were allowed and that they didn't release a number for attendance, mainly <laughs> because they probably had more fans than they were allowed, and it was definitely more than 20% capacity. But, you know, uh, they they reminded everybody to wear masks while they were seeing, so... Uh, yeah... Yeah, you know, and that that 
That again, that's a whole nother discussion we mm. could get into. But we've already spent forty five minutes talking about just regulation. Yeah, no, we I've I've bit my tongue on the whole you know crowd size and all that stuff this whole week ever since they announced that there was going to be you know that, and we'll just leave it at that for now. Yeah. Yeah. If there's so if, if anything yeah. comes of it, we can be we can go into it a bit more. Yeah, but yeah, until then, we'll, we'll just kind of we'll, we'll mention the fact that Orlando City did not release an official attendance number, and they probably my guesstimation is probably about ten thousand, based on how many people I saw in the stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, no official attendance numbers, so nothing official. I think so, stadiums in Florida are allowed to be like at full capacity now. Aren't they, they are. They are. Yeah. It's just it's optics, realistically. Yeah. So, into the penalty shutout we go. Maxi Morales misses, hits the crossbar. Everybody else makes it up to that point. Gets to Valentin Castellanos for NICFC. Galese saves. Orlando think they've won. They're celebrating. Then Alan Chapman, the referee, blows his whistle. Meanwhile, Oscar Pereja, as soon as Galese saves, he's sprinting to the locker room. He's going to comfort Juan in the locker room to tell him that they won. Meanwhile, communications director Rob Hildreth starts sprinting after him. Because, wait, the game's not over yet. So as they're trying to figure everything out, Oscar Pereja's in the locker room telling Juan, who's crying on the floor... Hey, we won. We won. And then Rob Hildreth comes in. He's like, it's not over yet. They're reviewing it. So by the time Oscar Pereja gets out there, Galese had already been shown his second yellow for encroachment, for coming off the line. Now here's where it gets a bit complicated. According to the 2020-2021 IFAB Laws of the Game, and for for those who uh, don't know what IFAB is, it is the International Football Association Board. They make the laws of the game. You know, basically FIFA. Uh, every every law of the game that that every league in the world uh, utilizes. So in the 2020-2021 ruling, if you are to come off the line as a goalkeeper. It is not a mandatory yellow card. It is a warning. The second time you do it is a yellow card. However, because uh, MLS started in March of 2020 and the rules for 2020-2021 did not come out until the summer of 2020, MLS 2020 season is still being governed by the 2019-2020 laws. So, there were a multitude of situations where this should not have been a yellow card. Um, there, there was other situations within uh, that whole entire football ruling where warnings and cautions issued during the match are not carried forward into penalty kicks. That's another rule that could have saved Pedro Galese. However, that's also a new rule for 2020-2021. So, everything that could have stopped Pedro Galese from being sent off with a second yellow was not, in fact, part of the rule book for the competition. It will be next year, though. That doesn't help Orlando City now. But 
there was obviously a lot of confusion as to what the ruling actually was because if you look up laws of the game it shows the two rulings where first warnings and cautions issued during the match are not carried forward into penalty kicks from the spot and second uh the warning then yellow card for encroachment for goalkeepers those are all new so the pro actually released a statement to describing this according to the statement a kick was saved by orlando goalkeeper pedro galese however on-field officials identified an encroachment offense by galese who had moved forward on the goal line at the moment the kick was taken and had no part of either foot on or in line with the goal line as such the kick was ordered to be retaken and Galese was correctly cautioned for the offense as per the 2019-2020 laws of the game. As he had been cautioned earlier in the game, he was sent off for receiving two cautions in the game. So, at least they were nice enough to explain the reasoning. Uh, Does it make it a correct reasoning? Probably not, but by the rule of the laws of the game, it was the correct decision, and however sucky it is, Pedro Galese was rightfully given a second yellow and a red card like you said it's laws are the laws and as much as it is unfortunate you know that is it would have been worse to be in the other side of things and the laws not to be applied yes so you you kind of have to both sides it right now this is where it becomes a bit complicated because after galicia is sent off who can go in goal you know, it has to be a field player, right? No. Brian Rose putting on his gloves. We're all sitting in the press box thinking, what's going on? He's not allowed to sub in, right? But then the refs allow it to happen. They allow Brian Rose to sub in and go in goal. And Rodrigo Schlegel comes off, who had just subbed in, you know, a little bit earlier. So, Valentin Castellanos is getting ready to kick the ball. Brian Rose is in goal. If Brian Rose saves it, Orlando wins. And then there's another stoppage. Alan Chapman has his finger to his ear and realizes that he fucked up. He allowed a substitution on when no substitution should have been allowed. And again, Pro made a statement regarding this. Goalkeepers who are sent off during kicks from the penalty mark can only be replaced by an eligible player, i.e. a player who has on the field of play or temporary off it due adjusting equipment Injury, treatment, etc. Orlando Reserve goalkeeper Brian Rowe was not an eligible player because he was not currently on the field at the time. So that is why that substitution was pulled back. Even though Orlando had used their full had not used their full allocation of substitutes, they were not able to bring in a substitute keeper into the game at that point because, despite uh, it being quote-unquote extra time the penalty kicks is a separate phase of the game if the game is not decided after extra time it is ruled a draw and then a separate phase of the game is created to decide the winner so if you wanted to really kind of pinpoint the laws you could say well you know that's that's as as some people tried to do they tried to say well wait this is still technically extra time why don't we have an extra sub as we are allowed to but it is, by rule, a separate phase of the game as a penalty shootout. So that was another law that was kind of called into question. 
and I saw uh, team administrator Joe Schumann. He was vehemently discussing with the referees and trying to show the referees on his phone the laws of the game, I would assume. But he was definitely going on and on about something that was on his phone and probably showing them some of the laws that were implemented for 2020-2021 or the fact that the substitution rule was in effect or any of the number of things. Uh, but it went back and forth to the point where Roe was uh, called back. Galese started putting his gloves back on over on the sideline. Then Rose started walking back out. Then Chapman said, no, 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 go back. And then Schlegel started putting on the goalkeeper jersey and gloves. And eventually, after like 10 minutes of confusion, Schlegel goes into goal and Valentin Castellanos scores it. So then it's like, okay, well, he scored, but Nani's just going to win the game here, so it's not even going to matter. Uh, you know, it sucks we lose Pedro, but, eh, you know, Nani's going to win it, and we'll, we'll we'll move on to the next one. And then, of course, Nani has it saved by Sean Johnson. And then it gets even crazier because then it's like, well, shit, Orlando's going to lose this, aren't they? They don't have a keeper. Like, how are they? Like, someone's going to have to royally screw up for Orlando to be able to win this game. And sure enough, well, first, it, it got to the point where Schlegel had to face another penalty for, I think it was Nicholas Acevedo, and he scored. Then it was pressure on Orlando because at that point, it was sudden death. So if Orlando doesn't score, they lose. So Robin Janssen steps up, scores. So we play on. Then the Icelandic player for NYCFC, Gudmundur Thoranensen, he steps up against Rodrigo Schlegel. And Thoranensen is an Icelandic international player. All right, he's he's... He's no slouch when it comes to general, you know, pressure situations. He's played for the Icelandic national team. He's played all over the place in his career. He's a veteran. You know, he's he's been a professional since 2008. But he put his penalty in a place that Rodrigo Schlegel could very easily save it. And Rodrigo Schlegel... Saved it. Palmed it into the post and away. And Orlando City starts to celebrate again. And then Alan Chapman fucks up again. He blows the whistle three times and points to the spot and says, game's over. At that point, it's tied. It's still 5-5. And so once again, we're in the press box thinking... What the hell is going on? They still have to make another penalty kick. And sure enough, yeah, that was the case. And all of NYCFC start rushing Alan Chapman saying, what are you doing? You've lost You've lost the plot here. Eventually, he realizes his mistake, calls everybody back. Benji Michel has to step up now. And so we're all sitting there like, is this going to be another moment where he has it saved and we keep going and it gets even crazier but no Benji slams home the penalty leaves no doubt rips his shirt off and flexes for the wall and Orlando finally actually celebrate winning the game and that's what happened that is the full story of Orlando City versus NYCFC in a nutshell and we wouldn't have had it any other way oh boy would we I I I would disagree with that you know (laughs) 
in terms of memorable moments, I mean, listen, the, the game itself was historic for obviously being the first playoff game for Orlando City in MLS. It was already going to be a memorable moment. Yeah, to have it go down like this is something that is probably going to be the craziest, most memorable playoff game of our lifetime. Now, that being said, this is only one of one, and there are probably going to be plenty more of playoff games in Orlando City history, but for the time being, this one will will top it all. Now, that being said, if they happen to win MLS Cup, that would probably be top it all, but for for the time being, again, this is... I think it was memorable for all the wrong reasons, though. Yeah. Listen, but who likes a boring little 1-1 draw going into stoppage time, you know? You went on penalty kicks, yeah, big whoop. But if it wasn't for the encroachment, it would not have given us Carlos Schlegel, whose only goalkeeping experience sorry, sorry, outside sorry. of a childhood go, go, is playing go back. in the backyard. Gavin, or Gavin, in to- Gavin, Gavin. Rodrigo Schlegel. Yes. Respect his name, Gavin. Listen, I don't know. I I was writing a story earlier, and for some reason, I kept wanting to call him Carlos Schlegel for some reason. I don't know. But, you know, his only experience is playing with his family in the backyard, you know, like to step up and to not it to make the save. It's the most improbable thing that has ever happened. Orlando City won their first ever playoff match down two men on penalties with a center back in goal making the biggest save of the day. Like, Wow. That is a sentence that sounds absolutely insane if you had no context to it. So just to, I, I want to try and clarify this because I'm not 100% sure what the ruling is, but technically Orlando City advanced but did not win their first playoff game because they drew 1-1 in regulation. Like I said, penalties are a separate phase of the game to decide the outcome to who advances. But technically, Orlando City still has not won a penalty or a, a playoff game. I think. I have not heard an official ruling from MLS as to how they're judging this. Is it considered a win or is it considered a draw and an advance after extra time like it was back in MLS's back? Because the LAFC game went down as a draw with an advance to the semifinals. So just another you know, wrinkle in the story, if you will. So, naturally, big celebrations all around after the game. Players are buzzing. Juan's crying happy tears now in the locker room instead of sad tears. And the press conference was interesting because everybody was talking to Oscar, like everybody from the national stage and the media. They were all in the call trying to figure out what the hell just happened a multitude of stories came out after this and you know it's crazy to think that this is probably not the craziest game that Oscar Bray has ever been involved in that game would probably be playing against Pablo Escobar back when he was in Colombia that that, I, I, I don't know how you can top that where it's like literal life and death situation I, I, I feel like if you if you tell Oscar Pereja how tense this game was, he'll be like, Yeah, but you haven't had a gun to your head playing soccer. I think that's something that's something to ask him another day. It's like where does this game rank in your list of games you've been involved in? I don't know how, how he would answer that, to be honest. Alright. We have gone through 
and talked about the entirety of the game. Now, we can't talk about the next game because we don't know who Orlando is playing. And obviously, we wanted to get this show out before the holidays happen. So, you know, by the time Philadelphia would have played uh, New England, the you know, it would have been Wednesday. We wouldn't have been releasing a show till Thursday. So it wouldn't have made sense to, to wait. We wanted to get this out now, and then we'll we'll do a show sometime next weekend or, or early next week, maybe like on a Monday or something, because they could be playing on Tuesday the 1st or Wednesday the 2nd. We don't know yet. Depends on who they end up playing. But I'm, I everything from here is is not going to live up to the craziness that happened on Saturday. And I think we can safely assume that, right? Like, there's nothing that can top this, right? Uh Honestly, this is MLS. And I can't say for certain that that's the case. Because crazy things have happened in this league. And we just saw something that we never thought we would see. So I'm not ruling it out. Because I can't. There's no way I can. (laughs) Exactly. And with that, I think we're going to call it a day. Thanks for sitting with us in our recounting of the Orlando City versus NYCFC game. Uh, We'll be back next week either with a uh, recap of Orlando City's game against whoever they play or a preview of said game. But until then, for Gavin Eubank, I'm Austin David. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Orlando Soccer Show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, ORL Soccer Show. Be sure to follow us on our written account, the Orlando Soccer Journal, at OSJ Soccer. And follow Gavin at Gavin Eubank and me at Austin David 22. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you later.